Let's pray together. Lord, as we read this uh, story from the Gospel of John, um, we pray that we would find ourselves in this story. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in this written word, and above all, in the living word, who is Jesus, in whose name we've gathered. Lord, show us your way. Help us to know your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So listen to God's word as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. <clears throat> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid, invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Amen. In Jerusalem, uh, near the Sheep Gate, in the city wall, there was a large pool. In fact, if you go to the old city today, uh, you can actually visit this very place, although it's, it's uh, somewhat covered by the ruins of Byzantine and Crusader churches. John tells us that there were five colonnaded porches around this pool. And it's interesting to note that archaeologists, in all their digging, have found exactly five porticos, five porches in this place. Um, so the story is, is quite accurate. And uh, it's uh, good to note that uh, virtually every archaeological find in the Holy Land basically backs up the accuracy of the biblical story, almost in every case. I was, there's been a lot of archaeological discoveries recently, and... Uh, last article I saw was that they actually discovered a layer of ash that dates back to 587, 586 B.C., which is when the Babylonians captured uh, Jerusalem. This, that's an important date in, in Israel's history, 586. They destroyed the temple. Well, there was no physical proof, really, until recently when they found that layer of ash dating to that particular time, back when the temple was, was raised and burned down. I've always kind of wondered how you can burn stone. 
I mean, there's a lot of limestone in that neck of the woods, and, and uh, you know, they would the, the fires would burn the timbers, but, well, I guess what, you know, what they would do, thinking out loud, is that they carried all that beautiful marble away, and then they put it into other temples. Uh, you know, that's what the Romans did. They, you know, they, and that's why if you go to Rome today, you don't find very much marble because it was just used in all these different places. Anyway, I'm getting off my topic already. But in this pool, there were five porches. The pool was called Bethesda, which means house of mercy or house of the flowing. And beneath the pool was a subterranean stream. And every once in a while, uh, the stream would, uh, you know, the water from the stream would bubble up and cause uh, the, the waters of the pool to be disturbed. Well, it was, it, it was uh, the popular belief that this disturbance was, call, was caused by an angel. And uh, there was a belief that uh, the first person to jump in after the angel disturbed the waters could be healed of any ailment which uh, that person was suffering. So you can imagine then all the people around this pool keeping an eye peeled for that bubbling that, so that they could be the first to jump in. Well, um, John says that there was a man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when, I always read, when I've read this story, I've always thought that that man was lying at that pool for 38 years, and therefore he mo must have been badly in need of a change of scenery. Um, but he was actually he was ill for 38 years. He wasn't actually sitting there for 38 years. But it's surely he spent a goodly amount of time at that pool hoping to be able to jump in at the appropriate time. We don't know exactly what this man's problem was. He was an invalid, so, you know, did he have multiple sclerosis or cancer, tuberculosis? In any case, it doesn't really matter, but he was weak and he was helpless and he couldn't walk and getting into the water was his only hope. But, uh, but the problem is, as you can imagine, all these other people were there too at the same time. It was a, it was a popular spot, and uh, so we can picture a great crowd of people, paralyzed, lame, sick, uh, you know, keeping their eyes peeled on, on the water. There is a sense in which we can imagine ourselves actually at that pool of Bethesda because if we're honest with ourselves, we all need help. We are all disabled one way or the other. We can find ourselves among the paralyzed, un unable or unwilling to do what we know we need to do in order to get healthy. We, uh, we may find ourselves among the lame. Uh, we... we uh, we know that we need to walk the good path that the Lord has set before us, but we're always going off the path. We fall away. We, we make wrong choices, and off we go. And we get into trouble, and we suffer. We're among the blind, you know, blind to spiritual realities, blind to the reality of God in our lives, what God is doing, blind to the needs of others, blind to the presence of evil in our midst. So we are disabled in many ways. There are areas of sickness in us. We have to be honest with ourselves, but there are. We all have a shadow side. Some of us 
helpfully uh, or know what those shadow sides are. Um, we need healing. But the good news is that Jesus draws near to people like you and to me because he cares. Now, out of this big crowd that was gathered around this pool, Jesus picked out one guy, one lone man. He didn't, when he arrived at the pool, he didn't say, hey, gang, I'm here, I am your savior, I'm your healer. Come, one and all, let me lay hands upon you, and I will heal you all. Didn't do that. Uh, that was not Jesus' way, of course. Jesus was not into spectacle. He was not into showing off. No, he didn't do this. But on this occasion, he reached out to only one man. And I love this about Jesus because he doesn't only care about the crowd. He's not just only ministering to the crowds by making you know, these, these sermons and so on. But he cares about the individual. You know, this man who had been lying there for so long beside the pool, or the, the woman with a hemorrhage who had been to many doctors and couldn't find healing, and so she, she reached out to, to touch Jesus. Or the blind man who called out to Jesus along the way, and Jesus actually stopped for that man. Um, or the tax collector sitting up in the tree, right? The, the parade route, it was full of people along the way, but Jesus picks out that one guy who had a particular need. So that Jesus notices the individual, which is to say every one of us is precious in his sight. I think it was Linus, you know, from Charles Schultz's Peanuts cartoon, Linus, who exclaimed, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Well, Jesus doesn't only love people in the abstract, you know, in kind of a general way, but he loves people in the particular so that each one of us is worthy of his time and attention. So on this day, Jesus was drawn to this one man who was especially helpless and weak. And note that this man doesn't have any idea who Jesus is. He knows nothing about Jesus. There's no mention of the man's faith at all. So often we think, oh man, you have to have faith if you're going to be, if you're going to be healed by Jesus, but there's nothing here in this particular instance of faith. The man doesn't come to Jesus, but Jesus comes to him as an expression of sheer grace and mercy. Here's a man in need, and Jesus reaches out to him to help. So then John tells us what happened next in our story. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, kind of like last week, if you were here, uh, Jesus seems to ask a really silly question, a foolish question. What do you mean, Jesus? Do you want to get well? This guy has been paralyzed for 38 years, and you now ask him, do you want to get healed? I mean, it seems kind of weird, doesn't it? But then on second thought, perhaps this question isn't so foolish after all. You have to ask, well, did he really want to get well? Now, I think it can be, it seems very strange, but there are some folks 
who actually don't really want to get well. They would rather actually not receive God's help for their problems. Uh, they don't want to be helped out of their weaknesses or their helplessness. In fact, they kind of like playing the victim because, uh, you know, uh, people kind of, you know, could kind of wallow in all their problems and then they get everybody's time and attention and sympathy and, and people kind of like that. Kind of a weird thing about human nature, right? Many folks have a tendency from, uh, to run away from taking responsibility for their life uh, and they become comfortable with their own dysfunctional patterns in life. It's just too hard to change. And besides, in a, in a kind of a weird way, they kind of like the life they're living, holding on to their little pet vices and habits, even though they know it's not healthy. There's a strange story of a, this is a true story of a 70-year-old man who had spent almost his entire life in prison, and he was finally offered parole, and with tears, he rejected the offer explaining that he had lived so long in prison, he would not know how to live on the outside. He didn't know how to take responsibility for his own life. All decision, decisions were made for him. And so the question is, can you and I become so comfortable in the prison house of our own destructive tendencies and patterns of life that we don't know how or even want to make the changes that we need to make so that we can be free. Because to change means letting go of certain things that in many instances we've grown, grown too fond of them. Do we really want to get well? Now, I, I was reading about how uh, in Asia they were, uh, there, were, there was a way, a method of trapping monkeys. And they would cut a hole out of a coconut on a coconut tree and then they would put rice in the middle of it, and then the monkeys would come along and would grab the rice inside the coconut, but, um, but they were not willing to let go of the rice to take their, their hands or whatever, their paws or whatever monkeys have out of the, out of the, out of the coconut. Um, they valued their rice, the rice more than freedom. They, they, they couldn't figure out that they needed to drop the rice. They didn't want to. Uh, some of us place uh, greater value on holding on to our destructive patterns of life than we do upon our freedom and finding healing and wholeness that would be possible for us if we would let go of some of these things. So strangely, we, we like to cling to our weaknesses and, and our illnesses and our, our dependencies and our pet vices and sins, and we get comfortable with these things. We even take a certain kind of perverse pleasure in them. So, you know, do we want to be healed of our greed? Well, we have to learn to let go of some of our money so that we can be generous and give to others. And even we have to let go of some of our possessions to which we tend to cling too tightly. We know it's not a healthy thing, our obsession with possession, but we have to let go. That's very hard. Sometimes we don't do that. Do we want to be healed of our anger and resentment? There's something weird about human beings that we love to nurse our resentment towards people. You know, we like to think about revenge and how we can get back at them when we hold on to the anger, in which case we're only hurting ourselves. We know that the anger that we hold inside for certain people is not healthy for us, but we kind of like the feeling. You know, we rehearse uh, 
scenes of revenge in our minds. And, and uh, you know, we kind of like being angry in a weird way. Um, do, we want, do we have a problem with drugs and alcohol? Then, we, then, you know, as much as we may like these certain things, we have to be able to let go because we like them too much and they take control and it, it's not healthy. We need to let go. So maybe Jesus' question isn't so silly after all. I mean, do we really want to get well? Do we really want to be made whole? And that question is asked of each of us. So if the answer is no, then there's not much Jesus can do for us, right? I mean, you can't help those who don't want help. Um, there may be some who answer Jesus' question by saying that though they want to be made well, they don't need any help because they can take care of it themselves. You know, uh, I'll figure it out in my own power. I will, I will bring healing to my life. I just, I know I need to let go, but I'll do it. And, uh, you know, I'm strong and, 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 uh, and so on. So in their very self-sufficiency and pride, they tend to keep the divine healer at bay. I can do it. You know, it's the American way, right? I don't need help. I'm going to do it myself. When, in fact, if you took advantage of people's help, you just might find healing. If you took advantage of Jesus' help, you just might find some healing. Um, you know, people have said that uh, to believers that to believe in Jesus and, you know, that church religion stuff, that's just, uh, you know, you need a crutch. It's a crutch. And people pride themselves, I don't need a crutch. I can take care of myself. But I've always, you know, I've always thought about that. I mean, if I had a bum leg uh, and I needed to get around, I would have no hesitation using a crutch if it gets me to where I need to be more effectively, right? What is wrong with a crutch? We all need a crutch. Now, it's not only a crutch, but Jesus offers a crutch. He offers us his help. So if the answer to Jesus' question, do you want to get well, is no or not yet, or stay away, I can heal myself, then there really isn't much Jesus can do. And if the man in our story had answered in any of those ways, then Jesus would have just passed on. Okay, buddy, you know, have it your way, right? Likewise, there isn't much Jesus can do if a person says, I'm not even sick which is actually kind of the status quo for many people around us today. There are many folks who will say, well, I'm nice. I'm a nice guy. I'm as nice as Joe Blow across the street. I'm a good guy. Uh, I don't have any problems. Uh, they certainly wouldn't put themselves in a, in a sin category because they never sin, which is to say they don't need a Savior because uh, they don't, don't have anything to be saved from. So this language about salvation and Jesus saves and so on, it's kind of a foreign concept to people. I'm just fine. I just do just great. And, um, and so they become, you know, self-sufficient and proud of how good they are and how righteous they are. And in this way, they're just like the Pharisees of old, right? The Pharisees of old, they, uh, in their mind, they were not sick. They had nothing to really repent of. They had no need of a Savior, for they had nothing to be saved from, in that case, there's nothing Jesus can do, which is why he was so frustrated with the Pharisees. They were so darn self-sufficient. 
Jesus himself commented, probably with some frustration, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So those who think, oh, I'm nice, I don't need any help, I don't need a Savior, they're not being honest with themselves. They're not being honest and open to the shadow side of their lives. The first step towards spiritual wholeness and healing is to recognize, yes, that one is a sinner and needs needs to repent, that one needs a Savior, that one needs God in their life to be made whole, to get fixed, because we are broken people in many ways. And we lie to ourselves when we refuse to be in touch with that brokenness. So after 38 years, the man in our story needed help, but he was totally discouraged. As far as he was concerned, it was all a lost cause. It was, he was helpless, you know. He was at the end of his rope. There was nobody around who would help him get into the pool when the waters were disturbed. And uh, so uh, he responded to Jesus' question rather listlessly. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So it appears that the man was having a bit of a pity party. Oh, woe is me. I'm a victim. Uh, You know, nobody helps me. Here I am, day after day, I'm hoping to get in the pool, but nobody cares. And so I just lie here day after day after day. It's hopeless. So there was resentment in his words. Oh, there's nobody. Nobody's going to help me. The whole system is rigged against me. And, uh, and in the end, you know, he was just, just a victim. And a lot of people today love to play the victim, as I say. But he was open bless his soul, he was open to Jesus' help. And that was the beginning of his healing. We have to have a need, and then we have to go to the source of, the ultimate source of that healing. And Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So that Jesus asked the man to do what had been impossible for him to do for 38 years, get up and walk. And this man had just enough faith in Jesus to give it a try. He must have said to himself, well, there's no way I can do it, but maybe this Jesus can help me. And Jesus made the impossible possible. And the man got up. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been in the crowd around that pool that day when this man who had been there 38 years got up and walked? I mean, think about the wonder and the joy of that. So Jesus comes to you and to me today, and he asks us, do you want to get well? Jesus draws near to you and to me and asks this question of us, and if we are honest with ourselves, we'll know that all is not right within us, that we need his healing, that we need the wholeness that only he can bring. Uh, it may be that we feel trapped uh, in a sense of in destructive patterns of life and we know that it's not right. Maybe we're, maybe we're not going to the ultimate source of, of help. 
Maybe we're not going to the one the Bible complain, uh, the one the Bible points to as the great physician of our souls. So that this story is for you and for me. Jesus draws near to you and to me, and he cares about each of us individually, and he would heal us. Pick up your mat and walk. So that Jesus enables us to do what we cannot do in our own power. He makes possible a new beginning in life. So, but we also have a part to play, you see. We have to be able to get, we have to get up and walk. We have to make an effort if we want to get better. Our spirit has to cooperate with his spirit to work his changes in us. So what this means in practice is that we have no business praying for physical healing if we're not willing to get up and go to the doctor. And we can't ask Christ to, to uh, heal our relationships, like our, our marriage, unless we take, make some effort and go to a counselor and work on some things in our relationship, and so on and so on. Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He's saying, take responsibility for your life. I have a part to play, and you have a part to play. But above all, quit blaming others. Quit blaming the system. You are not a victim. You are not as helpless as you think you are. And yes, there is risk involved in change, but I, but I can't help you, says the Lord, until you get up. And so it is with all of us. The question is, do you want to get well? Reach out to him with whatever faith you have because he's already reaching out to you. Walk with him day by day. And although that change may not be instantaneous, as in this story, there, as you walk with him day by day, more and more his spirit will uh, work with your spirit and you will find yourself to be a different person, more whole, more healthy, and you can become the person that God made you to be from the beginning. So may it be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have sensed this morning that we are here like a great multitude lying by the pool of Bethesda, waiting to be healed, trying various ways and means, hoping somebody will help. We have not yet listened to that wonderful voice that says to us in the inner heart, rise, take up your bed and walk, and grant that we will do so from this moment. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.